0: We were all in line to get on the plane. We were flying uh, to the beach. And all of a sudden, you hear the microphone come over the intercom of the airport. Flight whatever it was has been delayed. And our hearts just, they just sank. We sat back down, they came back on after a few minutes and said, don't worry about it, it's not going to be a long delay. After a few minutes, everything should be restored and you'll be able to get to your destination. A couple hours later, they came on and said, All right, we're now ready to board the plane. And so we got on the plane and we had a stop between the beach and, and where we were taking off. And the layover was in Atlanta. And Atlanta, I think, something like the third largest airport in the world. And it's number one on my most hated list. And we flew into Atlanta. And by the time our plane landed, we should have been fine. But we had to wait 35 minutes on the plane to get a gate. And looking at the clock, it was very clear there was going to be no time to make our connecting flight. I decided I would run and try anyway, just because I'm a glutton for punishment sometimes. And as I arrived at the gate, the plane had taken off, and there was nothing they could do. It was the last flight out of the night, and I looked around, and apparently it was not only our plane, That was delayed but half of the planes that were coming into Atlanta so when I finally got to speak to somebody because this was before the age where where everybody had a smartphone when I could finally speak to somebody I couldn't chat with them uh, on a on a web device I asked about hotel options and they handed me a book like a little book from the Atlanta airport and then they handed me a little like just a real small bag and I said what's this and they said your necessities And inside were deodorant and toothpaste and a little pillow and a a white shirt. Because as I started calling 30 hotels in, I realized there's no hotels available. And I'm going to be spending the night in the Atlanta airport. Which, if you've ever had the luxury of spending the night in the Atlanta airport, you know is just a brutal experience. At the time, there were no, no benches where the arms would fold up. And so you had to position yourself, either your legs, you'd have to shove your legs under those metal bars to get them under the seat, or you would have to try to try to recline on a chair that isn't made to recline. I thought, okay, I'll just pony up and, and join one of those admiral clubs for the night. I don't even care what it costs just to be able to, to be comfortable. Apparently they were all closed You get the same 25-minute loop of CNN constantly. Just in the middle of the night, it doesn't change. And just when you can finally drift to sleep somehow, an announcement comes on to remind you not to leave your bags unattended and don't give them to anybody whom you don't trust. It was a brutal night. I hated it. It was miserable. There wasn't much sleep, I was uncomfortable. I felt disgusted, I felt dirty, and clothes that I'd, I'd worn, it just wasn't a pleasant experience. The next morning came, and I got on my flight, and I made it to the beach. Now when people would ask me about my trip, I, I would tell them about the beach, because that's where we were heading. I wouldn't, ask them when they asked, I wouldn't tell them when they asked me how my vacation was about the Atlanta ordeal. Because it wasn't my destination. It wasn't where I was ultimately going. Today, as we continue our look at heaven, we're going to see that where we go when we die is not our final destination. But the heaven we go to when we die is like a layover. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not going to be like spending the night in a miserable airport where you don't have a bed and you're uncomfortable and you're in dirty clothes and you're given a little bit of deodorant and toothpaste. No, it's going to be nothing like that. It's going to be phenomenal, but it's not going to be our final destination. And we're going to look at that today. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible episode. We're going to be looking at uh, portions of Revelation 21 and portions of Revelation 22, where we see that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And this is fascinating. And it should give us hope. So join us today as we start in Revelation 21, verse 1, where we read these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This is, this is the culmination of God's plan. This is the culmination of God's plan. It's being unveiled for us. These are the final two chapters of the the Bible and the book of Revelation. This This is the insight into what is ultimately the plan of God. This is the victory. This is the celebration. This is the success. And as he gets into talking about all of that, as evil has been dealt with, and it's been taken care of once and for all, he's now saying, I saw a new heaven And a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Check this out. that he looks up and he sees a city that is coming out of the sky. Derek described it as a scene from Independence Day, if you remember the great Will Smith alien movie. You just look up, and there's just this massive city that is descending out of the sky, and that's what the Apostle John is recording for us here as he writes what he's what he's trying, what what he's seeing, and he's trying to explain to us this vision that God has given him, and there's just this massive city that is coming out of the sky and notice out of everything out of everything that he's seen out of a new heaven and a new earth his focus is on this crown jewel of a new city of a new Jerusalem out of all the amazing things that he is being a, he's being given a glimpse into here his focus is on the city and i heard a loud voice from the from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. I mean, this is, the hope of, this is the hope of heaven. This is the hope of eternity. That God will dwell with us. That God will dwell with us. This is the dwelling place of God. That God is with us in all his glory. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It takes us three chapters into the Bible, three chapters into the Bible to realize why all the pain and all the disease and all the hurt and all the heartache And all of the misery of this world exists. It takes us three chapters. The first two chapters describe what God created and that it was good. That's that's Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 goes into detail of God's creation of humanity. And Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter in all of the Bible, tells us how we messed it up. How we took what was good that God made and we messed it up. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Bible is pointing to God's plan of redemption. It's pointing to how God is going to fix it. It's stories along the way of heartache and misery. It's stories along the way of people who sometimes get it and sometimes don't. It's stories of people who never get it. It's stories of people who get it, but they have a lot of flaws. I mean, don't beat yourself up when you think about all of the regrets that are in your life. Scripture does not sanitize for us any of its characters. It reveals to us constantly that God uses broken and flawed people, people who've made a mistake, people who've made choices that they regret. God still uses them And God can still use you even in the midst of your choices, even in the midst of your regret, even in the midst of your pain. Don't allow your mistakes to define you, but allow God to redeem them and use you for His glory. Because as you look throughout all of Scripture, the story of everyone that God uses in Scripture is that we see their flaws. And none of them are perfect. But a perfect God chooses to use imperfect people for whatever reason to promote the message of His glory. And that should excite us and that should give us hope because God wants to use you and I. Not because he needs to, but because he chooses to. But it takes us three chapters, three chapters into Scripture to see how everything gets messed up. And now in the final two chapters, it's revealed to us how we will once again experience creation as God originally designed it, as God originally had it in a state where God defines it as good. Gone is sin, gone is death, gone is misery, gone is heartache, gone is crying, gone is pain. All of these things are done. Because all of these things are a direct result of sin. And we can't even really wrap our minds around what this is going to be like. Because sin impacts every aspect of our lives and every aspect of our existence. And yet the promise that we're given from God is that God is not done with our story and God has a greater promise in store for us and he will take care of all the hurts and all the hangups and everything that has hindered us along the way and he will cast it away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The curse is lifted. All that sin brought about is no more because of the plan of God available to us through the redemption of Jesus. Don't miss this. Don't miss the impact that this is going to have. that all of the heartache and all of the hurt will never have to be experienced again. Those nights you can't sleep and the tears won't stop. Being so upset at something that you can't stand to eat. Having to look into a coffin and say goodbye. Goodbye having your life interrupted by a diagnosis. It's no more. It's gone. And it is gone forever. Gone is suffering. Gone is pain. It's gone. The curse has been lifted. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true, that God is, make, God is making all things new. And this has been, always been the desire of God. This has always been the desire of God to make us new. God is a God of creation. God, God, loves, to, God loves to create things, and, and this is what God, God's work is not done in that. He says, I'm going to make all things new. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So God says, I am the Alpha and Omega, and and really the translation we would understand in our alphabet is God saying, I'm the A to Z. I'm the A to Z. I am from the beginning to the end. I am all of it. I am all of it, God says. And to those who are thirsty, to those who are thirsty, I will give the spring of, of water of life. And it's available to them for free and forever that those who follow me would live forever and ever. And we go back to the beginning. We go back to God's original creation and and the scene that unfolds for us. And Genesis is in the garden. And in the garden, there was a tree. The tree of life. And you'll remember when Adam Adam and Eve sinned, When they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God put guards around the tree of life and around the Garden of Eden to kick them out so that they would not eat of the the tree of life. God brought about death as a result of sin. But God, in a way only He can, brought about death so that we could once again fully live. And the promise of the spring of water of life is that all who follow Jesus will now be in this new place. And we will drink and we will live forever without the weight of sin, without the effects of all the evil that we have seen brought about in this world. And in our lives. But there's a contrast. And the contrast is between those who've made the decision to follow Jesus and those who haven't. And it's just a sobering reminder to each and every one of us that we have a choice. We have a choice to make. Whether we will accept God's payment for our poor decisions, for our mistakes, and for our sin, whether we will accept that gift that is offered to us through Jesus, or whether we will try to do it ourselves. And for those that try to do it ourselves, there's a very different outcome. And yet, right on the heels of the judgment of God that we're told about there in verse 8, we snap back, we snap right back into this beautiful scene of what the new city is going to look like in the new heaven and the new earth. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal." It had a great high wall, the twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Notice this, on the heels of the judgment of God, right on the heels of the judgment of God, we snap back and once again we're told of this beautiful city that God has created where where we will dwell with Him forever and ever, where there will be no sorrow and there will be no pain, there will be no tears, there will be no death, all of that. Understand the heart of God is redemption. The focus of God is on redemption. And God's desire is that each and every one of us would experience His Blessing. God loves us enough to tell us the truth. God loves us enough to reveal to us what will happen if we choose not to participate in his blessing, but understand the heart and the focus of God is that we would experience redemption and we would experience his blessing. Revelation 21, 15 to 21 goes on to describe the city, and we don't have time to look at it in detail. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna summarize it for you. Um, But you can check it out this week if you want to. This city, this New Jerusalem, is about 1,380 miles long. One city, 1,380 miles long. But it's also as wide and as high as it is long. This is fascinating. And people look at that and they say, well, how, how can that be? How could you breathe uh, that high? They're, they're, you, can't, you can't take in oxygen that way. But remember, this is a new heaven and a new earth. And no longer does sin and the effects of sin weigh on us. When you think of all of this world that we have yet to experience, just this world, and then when you think of all of the galaxies that have gone undiscovered, all of the, all the amazing scientific discoveries that we have unveiled and all of the things that we are now able to do, and yet all of the things that remain a mystery. Just this one city is 1,380 miles long, and it's also that wide, and it's also that high. I mean, this, this covers about two-thirds of the continental United States, just in one city, The city walls are 216 feet thick. And the walls are built of of jasper, of of diamonds, of clear and shiny diamonds. It's, It's a city that's built of gold, and every kind of jewel is featured prominently in the city. And maybe you're thinking, oh, okay, I've gone down the rabbit hole on the Internet. It started when I was looking for a recipe. Ended up looking at the 15 gaudiest mansions in the world. I've been there, you know. You lose, you lose a couple hours. You don't even remember the recipe you were looking for at the time. But you're just looking at some of these just disgusting homes where you're like, they had more money than they knew what to do with. And if you've ever seen some of these places, you're like, ooh, it's a little much. I mean, does anybody really need a gold-plated toilet? It's a little much, you know, but, but what's... And so you, you hear about the city, you might be like, hmm, okay, that could, that could be all right, I guess. Maybe not my style. And if you're struggling with that, I understand, but just take a look outside and just remember the creation that God has made that blows your mind. This city is going to be something that we can't even wrap our heads around. It's going to be something that blows our minds with how incredible it is. And this city is the center of our forever home. This city is the capital. It's the capital of the new heaven and the new earth. And verse 22 says this, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty And the Lamb. God doesn't limit His presence to a temple. God doesn't limit His presence to a building. God's presence is everywhere. It's everywhere. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. The glory of God is the light source for the new earth. There's no need for a sun or a moon. There's no need for that as as God's glory gives it light. And I know some people people are like, but I'm really going to miss that. I mean, some people love to to look at the moon and check it out. You ever try to take a picture of the moon or the stars? I mean, unless you have a phenomenal camera, you you take out your, your cell phone, you take a picture of the moon. It's not impressive. But If you get a phenomenal camera that can get some of the detail... But even then, it's not as impressive as going out and taking it in. I understand that the thought process might be, but I'm really going to miss that. I'm going to miss the stars and I'm going to miss the moon. And I understand that thought. But again, I'm going to ask you, you think the God who created that isn't going to be able to wow you in a different way? That the light of God's presence just radiates. It is brighter than the sun. Remember when Moses came down Mount Sinai and his face was glowing just because the glory of God passed him by. Probably looked like he had nuclear poisoning or something. It had to have freaked everybody out as he was just glowing as the glory of God passed him by. And here, the glory of God lights up everything. It lights up everything. And notice, not everybody lives in the city. Notice, not everybody lives in the city. That the kings, it says, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So not everybody's a full-time resident of this city. There are other places to live in the new earth other than the capital city. Some people will certainly live there. Others will not. They're, They're just people that come about. But notice this too that these kings will freely come into the city. And the gates are never closed. The gates are are never shut. So gone are the divisions of races, and gone are the divisions of politics, and gone are the divisions of nations, and gone are any of the divisions that we experience in this world. Those are all a result of sin. All All a result of sin. Now, I'm not saying government is the result of sin, though some of you may feel inclined to believe that. But what I am saying is that all the divisive nature of these things are a result of sin, and gone is that. So it's not something that will be experienced. And the gates are never shut. There are gates, but they're never shut. I grew up in an age before social media, and I am incredibly thankful for that because I believe social media is the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity. And you can try to prove me wrong, but you're wrong. It's just, it's horrible. So what happened was... Nowadays when in the age of social media it's it's easy. Listen, if if you're if you're single and and you're trying to trying to date somebody, it's easy. You go onto their profile, you hit, you know, you hit a couple likes, not too many, you don't want to appear to be a stalker. You hit a couple likes, then you find something that they posted about that you share an interest with, you send them a message, you wait they respond, you wait a day. Don't respond right away. You're not ready for that yet, okay? Just Uncle Brian trying to help you out here. And then after they respond, then you respond. And based on their response, if they like it, conversation's over. But if they engage the conversation, then you can, I mean, it's easy now. You can find out so many things. You can find out what they like. You can see if you're interested in the same bands, if, if you like the same sports, if you like the same, I mean, it's easy. That didn't exist when I grew up. So we had, to, we had to do some recon and find out what people liked. And sometimes that was a step of talking to a mutual friend. But then you ran the risk of, oh, that friend's going to go tell that. And you don't want your business aired out for everybody because when you're at that age, you feel like, oh, my gosh, if I ask somebody out and they say no, oh, everybody's going to make fun of me and I'm going to be a monumental failure. And Who cares? think anybody cares about that ask somebody out if you want to take them out if it works great if it doesn't nobody cares don't act like your life's over it probably did you a favor all right so just whatever we would have to find out information because you'd have to you'd have to find out phone number you'd have to find out when their parents were home because you didn't want to call the house when the parents were going to answer the phone because that was awkward and be like hey can I talk to your daughter. I mean, you never wanted dad to answer the phone and be like, hey, can I talk to your daughter? I want to ask her out. You just didn't want that to happen. So after we did some recon, we were, we were ready. I was ready. I was ready to ask her out. But I needed to make sure that she was home and hopefully that her parents weren't home. And she lived in a gated community. But the gate was never shut. They had a teenager sit in this little bay area who would come out as the cars were supposed to stop cuz there was a little stop sign and ask who you were there to see well, I didn't want to be on a visitor log I wanted to see if somebody was home before I called and asked her out hello stalker alert I get it I don't want to be on the I don't want to be on the visitor log so I just went right past I went just right past because there was no gate that was actually shut there was a gate but the gates were open and the kid ran out and went like this and I just waved and kept driving. Like, what are you going to do? Call the police? Whatever. I drove by her house. She was home. This was great news. Made it back, waved at him as I left. He was not happy. Drove home, and then I knew I could call, and I could ask her out. There was a gate, but the gate wasn't closed. It wasn't going to keep me out. There are gates in heaven and there are angels, but the gates are open and it's a reminder to us that everybody belongs. Everybody belongs. There's so many things that divide us. So many things that can come between us. And these gates are just a reminder that because of the work of God, In our lives and because of what God offers us, that we belong. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the best of culture. It's the best of what this world has to offer, and it's even better. Because gone is sin, and it's new, and it's, it's improved in ways we can't even fathom. And there in the capital, all the best that can be experienced in the new earth is brought into a place. and It's brought into perfection. We got to move. Revelation 22, 1 to 5 says this Then the angel showed me the river of of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything cursed. and fulfillment, and joy, and rest, and security. You ever been on a great vacation? Where everything's just been phenomenal. The food's been great, there's no food poisoning, you didn't eat yourself into a place where you're miserable even being alive. The weather was fantastic, There weren't any travel issues. The kids kept their headphones on the whole time. I'm just kidding. Uh, The kids were behaved. Or better yet, gone. (laughs) You ever been on just a phenomenal vacation? And on the the night before you go home, you just enjoy it. But you know, it's going to end. And tomorrow's back to reality. See, the promise of heaven is that feeling. Without the next day. It's the promise that all is right in the world. Because it is. It's the promise that we have everything we need. Because we do. It's the promise that there's nothing to worry about and we're secure. Because we dwell with God. And His glory shines for all to see. And the reality is, if you're an optimist, this life has knocked you down. If you're an optimist, this life has knocked you down. Because you've realized that those moments and those feelings that you love They don't last. You'll be be on cloud nine, you'll be moving high, but then there's a sobering reminder that just hits you. And you can hope to get back, but it's just a reminder that those moments don't last. And if you're a pessimist, this life has knocked you down because you've never allowed yourself to really get there. Because even in those moments of satisfaction, you're like, there's going to be a bill for this vacation. I'm going to have to pay it. We are get caught in a traffic jam tomorrow. The flight's going to be delayed. When we get home, we're going to have to adjust the thermostat. It's going to be a little hot for a couple hours. Ugh, changing the cat litter is not going to be fun. See whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. It doesn't matter. Because all throughout this life, even in the best moments that this life has to offer, there's been a reminder that it won't stay this way. But the promise of heaven is that it will forever and ever. That gone is pain, gone is disease. Gone is death, gone is sorrow, and gone are tears. And we are with God in the way it was all originally designed to be. God, I pray that the hope of heaven would help us today. I pray that it would shape our thinking, I pray that it would shape our choices. I pray that it would be a reminder to us that this world is ultimately not our home. That all of our hurts and all of the things that hold us up and all of the things that hinder us. We'll be gone. That we will be with you in a city too beautiful for us to fathom in relationship with you in ways we long for. So God, give us all a hunger for this. Give us a hunger for heaven. And may it change the way we live here. Seeing so much of what we worry about and so much which holds us up as being trivial and remembering how vitally important it is that we share the hope of Jesus with all we encounter. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your love. And thank you for the hope you offer us.